Welcome to another episode of Human Becomings. I have another brilliant human with me today, and I have partnered with him on so many brilliant things in the past. So let me bring the epic Arik Gorepio. <laughs> Arik is the director of inclusion education at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Arik, welcome to the show. It is such an honor to have you. Thank you so much, Mila. I, I really could not be more thrilled um, to be able to join you. So thank you for the offer. Oh, you're welcome. I'm just excited to explore your mind and your heart. <laughs> so we have done a lot of great things in the past when we have worked together in the University of Wisconsin Parkside. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's just fantastic to have you and just share the space of the deep dark dialogue and share the space of safety and share the space of respect and heart. So thank you again for coming aboard. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, I've been just thrilled with, like you said, with our work together. And so I think um, we've, I'm excited to have some, yeah, good conversation. So thanks. Brilliant. All right. So let's start speaking and let's, well, today we're going to be talking about inclusion and what a better way to start by telling us uh, what you do as the director of inclusion. Take it away, Arik. Yeah, all right. So here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, we have a program um, that I work very closely with and I uh, work with the program coordinator to oversee called Our Wisconsin. And Our Wisconsin is a three-hour workshop offered to first-year students, primarily those living on campus. And the purpose and intent of our Wisconsin is to really focus on community building, um, but through a lens of inclusion, respect, um, civility, and really an opportunity for students to come to campus and really right when they get here, start being intentional about thinking about the impact um, that they have to those around them. And, you know, when, Many folks like myself, when I first went to college, had a roommate that I didn't know for the first time in my entire life and, um, you know, constantly got the message of this is your new home and, you know, we're in this kind of space together and how do we create that? but no one ever really had these intentional conversations with us. And so I'm really hopeful that our program at least will launch some conversations for folks to recognize that, you know, not everyone had the growing up experience that they did. And, you know, our experiences are very personal and they're not universal. And sometimes um, it can take that first experience coming to a place like a university or college for the first time to really focus on that um, with really great um, intent. And so um, I'm hopeful that our program, um, we're able to eventually see some results across campus um, and just cre hopefully creating a more inclusive, welcoming space for all. Brilliant, I absolutely love it, all right. All right, you mentioned that, um, you know, treating with civility, and that is something that we often do not hear about or think about. 
and under the space of inclusion. Why? Because people often think that inclusion is just fulfilling a quota, right? Fulfilling a quota. Oh, the government is all, it requires me to fill this quota, and people often think inclusion is hiring people of color, including people of color. And we do not often expand our mind as to what really inclusion is, how inclusion is, why inclusion is, what inclusion is, when inclusion is. So let's expand a little bit on civility aspects of inclusion. What is civility from a sense of inclusion space? To me, true civility, honestly, if I can be completely open and frank, it's, to me, it's just not being a jerk. And, like, um, you know, and, and to me, it's also recognizing that we're navigating a world that more people are able to um, find space and find terminology and words to put to their human experience and find identities that, you know, main people say, you know, well, that never existed before. It did, but now we're in a place in our world, in our society, where people actually find language to put to their experience. And that's really powerful. And so, you know, for me, civility is everything from you know, looking behind you to see who's coming through the door, um, looking to see, you know, oh, that person may need help, you know, carrying something or they drop something. All the way to, you know, I'm in a space and somebody says something that I don't like or I disagree with or I feel entitled to make a comment about and taking that moment to stop and think is, you know, like, is it kind? Is this helpful? Is this going to be something um, that maybe I, I don't need to say out loud to this person? Um, and recognizing that we all, every human on campus, in Madison, across Wisconsin, throughout our world, um, if we all took steps to be civil to each other, um, I feel like it's something so small, but it could make such a tremendous impact. Um, you know, I think people think that, you know, inclusion has to be, like you said, like this big thing of, you know, who are we hiring or like all these forced pieces. Um, but inclusion and civility go hand in hand for me and thinking about just being aware and thinking about other people, who they are. Uh, what impact am I going to have? Does my behavior have? And how can I not be a jerk to other people? <laughs> no, it's so true. I love how you put it as inclusion and civility goes hand in hand, which is so true. Because in the landscape right now, especially right now, and I feel that we have progressed tremendously, right? Progressed tremendously. And I feel like in a political climate right now, it is affecting in affecting everything that we do affecting in different communities of practice right affecting people polarizing people and that civility aspect is dissipating or has dissipated right and and you're so right civility is about treating other people like humans it's it's humanizing humans again 
right? Yes. It, it's, it, and inclusion is not about, like you said, it's not a forced concept. I feel like I, I consult a lot of leaders in the companies and that's what my company does. It's we humanize humans again. And often I get asked, oh, what does inclusion look like? We need to hire more colored people. The fact that you're seeing colored people itself, you, you're creating this segregation space. I'm not asking people to be colorblind or anything of that sort, but civility is all about respecting another person and not using your privilege or space of privilege or, or pedestal of privilege to impose that, that term, colored people, right? Well, why must you say colored people because it's a stereotypical reference as to colored people are African-Americans or different types of Asians or foreigners to fill that, that quarter that the government expects us to do. And that's basic civility. And also civility goes hand in hand and into far out into how we speak with other people. Right? It's, I, 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 <laughs> I know sometimes people well, that hey, I'm, I'm at work or I'm in school and I'm in a power position, I can treat other people in a very condescending way based on the title I have. Strip away your title, you go back home, your title does not follow you back home, right? And how are you going to practice inclusiveness and civility at home without your title? Are you going to treat other people like, a, like the, the joke that you are? <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I so agree. And I think that, you know, I was actually kind of having this conversation with somebody just earlier this week. And, you know, I think that there's, you know, what's missing too is like that education of the history of why the structural oppression, um, what does that look like? How was it created? And recognizing that, um, it shows up for all of us, you know, and I think that um, the there's often that kind of misnomer of well, people of color or people um, you know who identifies LGBTQ or people who um, have disabilities, um, like that they cannot also participate in that structural system of oppression and because it's taught and it's learned and it's ingrained and recognizing that no matter who you are, no matter what identities you hold, no matter how you grew up, we all play a part in that. Um, and so it's, you know, like that's how it continues to happen because that's the world that we're navigating. And I think you're totally right in today's society, it's so perpetuated and we see people who, you know, in different roles, you know, that traditionally people look up to, um, and we see their behavior and their words and their comments um, just filled with so much hate and bias and, and just ignorance. And that's what people are looking up to. Um, and so not recognizing like that that's all just a cycle and that's all how we keep those systems in place. Um, and it's, it can be really disheartening. Yeah, it's, uh, I agree. It's not only disheartening, it, it dehumanizing, it dehumanizes someone at all. 
right? Um, because people, like you said, it's it's a cycle, it's learned, and those practices are put into place either consciously or subconsciously by people in power, like, and and that becomes nuance and layer, right? People in power also reflects how do they look like? What do people in power look like? Right? If, if we're going to have a male, a male person or of a, of a certain ethnic group or a certain race group, then people will often get that registered into their minds that, oh, that is what leadership looks like. That is how we should be. That is how society must be framed or society must be carried out. This is the schematic that we're going to use to, to create whatever that we're creating from uh, now and five years from now or 10 years from now. But that also kills innovation. The lack of inclusion kills innovation, kills uh, entrepreneurship, kills visionary thinking, kills building, kills executing, kills creating a space of respect a sense of belonging. Yes, um, very much so. I feel like, you know, it's kind of like how, um, you know, there's, you know, like people hire people who are like them, not just look like them, but they think like them. They, you know, use the same language that they do because there's that familiarity. And, you know, one of the things that, um, so I don't know if you or folks kind of listening um, really read a lot about Pat Summit. Uh, so Pat Summit was the um, women's basketball coach of the Tennessee Lady Vols. And um, to me, you know, I had the opportunity to first hear her speak in person when I was a freshman at Central Michigan University and, and had read her, her first um, couple of books before then. And, you know, one of her thoughts that I, I picked up through her books is that you always want to hire somebody who's better than you. Um, if we're really being centered about our work, and in my case, you know, work with first year students, work with students um, who are coming to a predominantly white institution and recognizing that um, this is a difficult space for students of marginalized identities to navigate. Um, and I could come on board and say, well, I, you know, with my marginalized identities as, you know, a naturalized citizen of the U.S., um, as a uh, queer transgender man um, who, you know, lives with and often struggles with uh, mental illness, like that I know all of these things and I know what it's like to navigate and I'm the best person to do this work when in actuality, I know that's not true. And I want to surround myself with people who are better than me um, and bring things that I cannot bring to a table. And I feel like that creates the strength of, you know, a program of, you know, of work, um, no matter what that work is. And so that's something that I really take to heart. And I, I wish, um, I wish I could see more reflected of and not recognizing like, yes, I'm not, <laughs> I am not the greatest at every single thing. 
um, and other people have a lot of really great strengths um, and recognizing that there are strengths that I bring too. And, and how do we pull all of that together to create one thing as opposed to kind of playing this who's better than whom um, kind of game? I absolutely love what you just said. All right, we have to hire people who are better than us, who are smarter than us. And that's the, the element of ego comes into place after that, right? I, I have three people <laughs> in my company, besides myself, right? And, and those three individuals have unique qualities that I do not have. Because my vision can only come into fruition if I hire or get people in who have got unique individualistic qualities where they have got the strength to push something forward that I can't. And most of us feel that, you know, when we hire someone who's better than us or smarter than us, we always fall into the cyclical mindset that if we hire someone else who's better or smarter than us, we will lose our job. Mm -hmm. But that's not the mindset that we should be getting into, right? And it ties with inclusion. How do you see the landscape of inclusion? Inclusion is interacting with people who are smarter than you, right? How can you go beyond that plateau that you've hit? Like my brain power is only till this much, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. And like, it's exactly like my example is exactly like schooling. You go to kindergarten to learn whatever. I can't even remember what I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> alphabets. Alphabet. Probably alphabets. I can't remember. <laughs> and then you go after kindergarten. Okay. You've already maxed out that education. And then you go into primary school. Right. Even primary one, primary two, primary three, you do not learn about a hypothesis angles in primary one because the brain is still forming, right? And in primary one, you learn very simple like addition, subtraction, or uh, you learn about how the sun, uh, the different planets rotates around the sun. And then primary two, you learn something else. You can't be learning primary one stuff about one plus one, two plus two when you're in primary six. You can't be learning that in secondary school. In secondary four, secondary five, you're learning about chemistry and physics, uh, how friction works, right? And you have to look at that from that aspect of how do you learn? How do you gain knowledge by pushing yourself to go to the next level? How do you push yourself to go to the next level? You gain knowledge from someone who is much more intelligent than you, who has got a niche in that. Your teachers, your classmates, everyone contributed to you learning or grasping materials. You will not learn from, from your teacher because everyone grasps differently, everyone relates differently, right? But everyone played a pivotal role in how you blossom as a person, right? And that is the same concept that goes at the workplace or any place which is a community of practice. And that ego aspect, I mean, I mean, ego is good, right? Ego is good, it's not bad. <laughs> because you have this, oh, I am better than you. And, and that's right. when the negative aspects of, um, you know, exclusiveness comes out. 
I am better than you. My title is higher than you. And that's such an important thing that I want people to know, regardless if it's a place of work, whether you're hiring, like they should not look at, oh, millennials are so entitled. No. They have all the, the tricks and skills of what we can't do, right? It's like, oh, what I was born in the generation, they call me the, the Zenial. I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> X generation and millennials so I'm right at the cusp of it I don't know how to use a lot of new apps and I have got to learn but learning a lot of people think that learning is such a, a low thing is they feel like I'm old I have all this experience so I shouldn't right but that's not that's not it that's being exclusive that's not being inclusive absolutely yes and I, I you know I, I definitely think it's you know, and that um, I see that a lot at the work at, at universities of, you know, it's, um, you know, and, and like I, said, I mean, I'm just as guilty of it um, and can be as well. And so I think that important piece, too, is recognizing that and being able to take that moment and say, like, wow, where is that coming from? Um, you know, and kind of our, our bias that, and stereotypes that exist in all of us. Um, and being able, you know, I always believe that recognizing them is the very first step to breaking that down. And so, um, you know, kind of, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned technology um, because, you know, as much as I would like to think that I'm, you know, kind of hip and know what's going on, um, the fact that I just said hip should give you a good signal <laughs> that I probably don't. Um, but you know, kind of how, how are we looking at technology and not looking at it like, oh yeah, um, quote unquote, like kids these days, um, only want things that are, you know, quick and easy and fast and online or on an app or on their phone. Um, a part of that is recognizing that our, the way we deliver information changes. Um, so students aren't walking around looking at you know, advertising posters the way they did when you and I worked together at UW Parkside. That's how we communicated events and things happening was through posters. Um, it's not happening the same way anymore. And I think that it's um, problematic when we say like, oh, that's because of the millennial generation. Like, um, you know, and blame folks for things that are completely out of their control. Um, if I grew up and had, you know, access to smartphones and social media and things the way they do now, um, that's not my fault. I didn't create that. Um, but that's the world that I would grow up in. And just like folks who are younger and coming in, you know, who are like, they're growing up with these tools and it's not a sign of our, you know, kind of, um, our not, our lack of knowledge or, or, you know, lack of experience. It's that, you know, times change, things change. And that's the only way we're going to grow and adapt is if we grow and adapt and create that sense of inclusion, um, with, you know, different generations and be able to engage and say, instead of, how dare you 
or I don't understand that, so that's not okay. Instead, shifting the mindset to teach me, um, show me, how can I, you know, learn from you and your experience, because that's not the experience that I had, and let me share with you some of my experiences. I love that. I love how you put it. It's, it's like technology liberated, right? And you're so right. People ha hold on to this expectation of like the older generation. I'm not being an ageist, but they grew up in an era where it, it was newspapers, right? They, when they were sitting at the, at the coffee shop or tea shop, what did they look into or onto? It was not the smartphones, it was not the laptop, it was newspapers. They had their head into the newspapers. They were doing something, they were, their focus was onto something else, right? Like you said, posters were a huge thing. And watching the telly, even before the telly came about, how did they get down news? It was the radio, mm -hmm. right? And now everything is so accessible via our smartphone. We have the power to connect worldwide not just with your mom and dad, but worldwide with someone from remote part of Africa or remote part of China who has got the same app as you do. Connect with them. We didn't have that ability aeons ago. Right? News got to us years later. Now we can send a message via WhatsApp. To people who can't, uh, who do not have FaceTime or who, who do not have a calling card, WhatsApp makes it possible from for people to connect within the within the speed of a lightning. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> send a message to someone in China and say, "Hey, hey, how are you?" Or your friend who visits China, "Hey, how are you? How are things over there?" Take this 200 years ago. How would you get that message? How long would it get that message to you? Right? And, and you're so right. That's all falls under the plane of inclusiveness. How things have become innovative right now. Right? And I learned a valuable lesson, Arik, when I went back to school at Parkside. I went back to school in my 30s. And that was such an eye-opening experience. And I, I feel that that falls under umbrella of inclusiveness as well, right? Because usually what do we do? We grow up in different parts of the world. We go to school in that neighborhood that we grew up in. Or, or we, some of us explore out of state, but within the same country. Or we will go to a different country and we inherit that experience, right? Inherit that experience of education system. But I had the humble opportunity in going to schools in different countries and experiencing the British education system. And then when I came to the US, I came back to school. I decided to go get an, an, another degree. So, <laughs> and I experienced the American education system. That itself falls under that inclusion umbrella, which pushed me to open my eyes in how education systems are so different and so diverse, and it can push you to learn better about yourself. And one absolute thing that I absolutely loved was my classmates. 
were just not a singular age group, right? It was just not the millennials. It was my age group and then people who were like 10 or 20 years older than me. That itself says inclusiveness in how people learn, how people gather together in order to exchange ideas. I was absolutely blown away by what 19 year olds, how they one topic, right? And, and then how my other classmates who were 10 or 20 years senior than me viewed a different, the same topic, but from a different perspective. And that's the diversity and that's the inclusion, inclusiveness, right? You have a common topic and you learn how different people think based on your experiences, based on how they view the world and what they can bring to the table. And you're so right, together is better, right? It becomes an epic brain power. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, that, and it's that shared responsibility of, um, you know, probably I, I would imagine, and I've kind of been in these spaces where you walk in to a space, there's folks, um, you know, who all look very different and we begin to make assumptions. And so, you know, um, it's the assumption of, oh, there's, um, that person looks like they're older, um, their race is different than mine, and they're not going to be supportive of me and my identities. Um, or going into a room and looking, oh, there's you know, somebody who looks younger, they're on their smartphones, they're not gonna pay attention in class and they're gonna waste my time. And so we make all of these like instant snap you know, judgments based on that first appearance. And then you're right, like through those being in that learning space and being able to share ideas and to, you know, just sit and also, you know, watch how different folks interact and, you know, see the instructors, a facilitator of those conversations and that dialogue and that learning. And I think, um, you know, I, I will kind of, put a plug and a shout out to UW Parkside to say that is one of the things I absolutely still love about that institution is that they in, in a lot of ways are truly a, a university that is able to um, value and incorporate that inclusion um, based on providing, you know, kind of the students in those learning environments to be surrounded by different people. Um, and, you know, there are folks who are parents and have children. There are folks who, you know, work full time have families or taking care of their families and attending school full-time folks who are working multiple jobs um, to get themselves through school folks who you know like you said have had left education wanting to experience something different which made them come back um, and all of those experiences are so valuable and so much greater than what we could ever learn from a textbook i echo you eric it's one of my best experiences was at UW Parkside um, and I echo what they said they have nailed it on how to be inclusive at multiple layers right um, I remember sitting in my communication classes and it was about human conditioning I remember we were it was a class of human conditioning how do we think how do we 
view other people. And I remember multiple professors, uh, Dr. John Moore uh, was one of my favorite professors and uh, Dr. Faya Kendis was another, and uh, Dr. Adrian Bermontes as well. And anything that we were discussing, they would always, they would not tell us how to think, but they would lead us by asking prompting questions, right? Prompt, uh, prompting questions as to why do you think it, it is this way? Uh, why do you agree? Even when we agree or disagree, why do you agree? Why do you disagree? They were breaking the paradigm of group thinking, group think. And that's one of the theories, right? When we are in an environment, let's it be in a school environment, or let's it be in a work environment, we feel that we have to agree with the boss, we have to agree with the manager. If not, um, we will not get a promotion, we will not be viewed as an integral part of society. When I say society, workplace is a society as well, or any part of community is a society as well. But group thinking is so bad because it, it erases your identity as an individual, it erases your ability to bring your strength to the table, like what you were saying. Everyone brings something to the table. And it just kills group thinking. And that's one aspect that I really loved about Park Science. They really <laughs> promoted group thinking. And group thinking in a sense where think differently, but not think in a very singular way where you have to agree with one person. And that is what happens right when we go into meetings at the workplace nowadays. Everyone sits in a circle and then you will take a vote of who agrees or who does not agree. And people are so afraid to speak up thinking, oh, I'm the only one who's disagreeing, I better not say something. That's not being inclusive. That's being exclusive. <laughs> totally, yes. Um... One of the things I, I truly value about my position and where I work now is that, you know, I'm able to have um, the kind of relationship with my supervisor. And, and there's definitely been things we very strongly do not see eye to eye on, but we have that basic level of respect for each other. So I know I can go in and say, you know, Karen, I don't agree with that. Or this is how this event has impacted me. And when, um, you know, we, we have kind of those difficult conversations, I know I can do so in a way that we may make each other angry, we don't understand. And at the end of the day, we still have enough respect for each other um, that we can do so in a, a way that doesn't, you know, we don't continue to hold on to that. I know that I will not be penalized or punished for bringing up different ways of, of thinking or bringing up my experience in a way that has influenced um, my decision making. And, um, and for her, similarly, I, I don't know what it's like to be a high level administrator at a Big Ten institution. And so um, also recognizing that I have something to learn to. And um, I think you know, it does, it just all goes back to that inclusion piece. And it's not easy. I, I don't do it well 100% of the time. I don't think anyone does. Um, and recognizing when, when it does happen, um, 
how am I then putting that back out into the universe um, and putting that back out into uh, the, the world and really for other folks um, to see that inclusion, civility, respect is not scary. It doesn't mean that we're not, um, we're not disagreeing or that we're exactly the same. It just means that I see the humanity in you and I love totally what you talk about and you're talking about like dehumanization. And I mean, that's happening. I feel like every second of every day lately um, that people are having their true humanity stripped away. Um, and, and it just, um, it infuriates me. It breaks my heart. It makes me sad. And it also makes me want to do better. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There are so many acts of violence, so many acts of hatred, so many acts of segregation that is dehumanizing every single one. And it's just not the immigrant community. It is the LGBTQ community. It is the community of women. It is the community of single moms, single dad, you know, single parent, like the nuclear of how a family looks like too. Everything is being attacked. And you brought up a very good point, Arik, about, you mentioned about disagreeing disagreeing. And I want people to know that disagreeing does not mean that people will hate you, right? Disagreeing means that you are actually exercising your right to voice, your right to speech, your right to your mindset, to write to your thoughts, to your right to your creativity, your right to be existing in that space to share what you can build, how you can build, and how you can move forward, not just for yourself, but for people who are yet to come, or for people who do not have the confidence to voice out. That is all time with inclusion. Disagreeing is part of inclusion. I feel that if you agree, you're just excluding yourself. Don't just agree blindly. You have to make an educated position in order to contribute to a conversation or dialogue. Yes. And, and as you were talking kind of about your communication classes, um, you know, I know those, those three professors very well. And one of the things that I really value about them as humans is this, their um, true true ability to not only, you know, kind of engage folks in those conversations in the classrooms, but also people um, in their lives of like true critical thinking. And I feel like, you know, that's, that's all, um, you know, how we've gotten away, I think, from, you know, helping folks realize that critical thinking and, and incorporating critical thinking skills is so important and so valuable, because I think, when you know you look at the U.S. K through 12 education system, that's focused so much on standardized testing, which, in my own opinion, is crap and doesn't speak to anything. Um, but that's the focus, and so um, instead of teaching, you know, our our youth and our kids in K through 12 schools, like critical thinking is how you're going 
to be able to find yourself and be able to engage in difficult conversations. And, you know, I don't really care um, if you can structure a sentence absolutely correctly because it's on a standardized test. Um, yes, that's important. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, my parents are former K through 12 teachers, now retired. So sorry, mom and dad, it's valuable. Um, and I think that um, just these, these other skills and, and other ways of growing is, is just as important as, you know, learning how to, to budget and about money and time and all of these other things that we've, we've learned. Um, and I feel sometimes that gets let by the wayside. You bring very important points, Auric, um, standardized testing, right? I look at standardized testing very equivalent to how performance reviews are done, right? I feel, yes. I feel that those are all based from a very singular lens. And I feel, and I reiterate this, every time when I speak with anyone or, or any one of my clients or when I go into companies to help them, shift that culture how to have a more uh, a sense of belonging as opposed to a <laughs> like dehumanizing <laughs> environment one of the ways that we need to rethink and relook and re-execute is how we are imposing standardized singular concepts onto our humans like like you said standardized testing Every human learns differently. That's why you have A students, B students, C students. And who, I don't know which smarty pant, and I do not use that in a positive manner. I don't know which smarty pant came up with ABC. You know, like, who created the semantics of it, right? Like, why is that A? What makes an A student think of 100? Right, some people learn faster. Some people grasp something faster. Some people grasp it because based on your, on your passion or attention or whether they really like it at that stage, right? I did not fare well at maths when I was younger, but I fared well at maths when I was doing my engineering course. That was the only time where I got A's in my maths. That does not mean that I'm not a smart student when I was younger, but I was labeled as stupid. I was called stupid every single day just because I got us, right? Or because I got 0 0.50. And standardizing something strips away someone's ability of how they see themselves, especially in that young priming age, right? You go to school, you start school at what age? Like you go to primary school, not in a primary school. Um, kindergarten at what five years old yeah so a young mind um, a young mind is being molded to to think and adapt to 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 believe that they are not capable but based on standardized exams based on a, a worksheet or a test that says you have to get this right if not you are not worthy of going to the next level and then you, it becomes cyclical and then that narrative is imposed onto your mind, right? And your cells hear it, every part of your body hears it, and that's all you hear from the age of five until you graduate. Well, college is not so bad because college you have the ability to choose whatever you want and it's, it's, it's marked or 
will review based on your research, right? And sometimes that, that is biased. Some professors, that is biased. If they like the student better, they'll give you an A. But again, like standardizing does not do any justice to any humans. It does not define their capability. It does not define who they are or what they can create, what, how they can impact. And that is the same thing that I, I tell companies. Performance reviews do not work because performance reviews are for computers and technology. Humans are not computers, right? And, and that is an important part of inclusiveness. We are humans when we come to work, we bring on whatever is going on outside of work. Whether we slept well, do we eat well? Do we pay our rent because we lack the paycheck? Do we have a second job? Like, do you come back from a second job at 12 p.m. and then you're waking up at 5 a.m. to go to this work? Whom did you have a fight with? Do you fight with your mom? Do you fight with your spouse? Do you fight with your partner? Right? Do you uh, uh, meet with an accident coming to work? Right? Do you just get burnt out that you can't focus anymore? Right? Are, are there health issues going on? Is, is there you know, so many elements right, that goes on? Is your boss being such a jerk to you? Is, are your peers being such jerks to you? Is someone saying that you're not capable? Because words have got powerful impact. Like when someone says, all right, you know, why can't you do this report? It was not that great. I didn't think you should do this. I'm taking this away from you. It's like taking a toy away from a child. Right? You give a toy to a child and then a child experiences differently. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not reducing our worth or reducing the child's worth. And when the child, according to adults' eyes, misbehaves and then we take that toy away. It's just like that. When we are at work and we are undergoing so much of stress, we can't think, we get tunnel vision, right? Stress kind of like takes away your ability to think, away your ability to speak as well, or articulate or, or perform. And then when someone comes in from a very singular lens and says, oh, you can't perform and takes that away, words have the ability to really break and dehumanize people. So, and that goes on to the performance review, just based on one or multiple experiences, because we hold humans from a very singular plane thinking that they are robots. They should be performing on how we are programming them, how based on our expectations, which comes from our lens of ego, our lens of singular communication, how we have been trained. And that's just not right. Yes, 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 totally. Um, you know, and I think that to me, I would rather see a performance review look at not only where I can improve, because again, I know that I'm, you know, there are always things that we can improve upon. Um, and are those things that are, you know, more of the technical skills? So am I able to use, you know, Qualtrics or some of the other platforms that I need to do to do my job? Um, I think, feel like those can be measured and should be measured very differently. Uh, and I, I, you know, again, fortunately, I have um, a supervisor who very much understands that um, I am not just, you know, kind of a, my existence is not to, yeah, 
go home at night, plug into the wall, nothing happens to me. And so I walk through the doors the next morning and, and being able to, you know, for, for me to also be able to have that ability to say, these are all the other influences in my life right now. Um, and to do so in a way that's not held against me. Um, and you're right. I think that in a lot of places, um, you know, that folks are not able to recognize the, again, going back to your words, the humanity um, that we all carry and, and expect people to, you know, work in offices and climates that um, are unhealthy, that, you know, the workload is also unreasonable. And, you know, you, you know, thinking about, um, you know, some places and, and folks I've had conversations with who have worked at places where, you know, you're expected to be on your feet so many hours you're expected to not take bathroom breaks. You're expected to only get a very short amount of time to eat if you're given time to eat at all. Um, you know, and there are all these things and expectations that we place on people and then we can't look at that to say, oh, that might have an impact. It's automatically that person's um, fault um, and we, report them and, and mark them negatively for things that are completely beyond human control. Um, and I know that if, you know, you or I had the solution to any of that, we would probably be millionaires on a beach somewhere. Um, I think that's, but that, I'm excited to know that other folks are, are concerned about that and having conversations about, um, about what do we do and how do we how do we bring just the the pure humanity back not only to our workplaces our school places um, but navigating everyday life now I agree with you and I like to add to that it's you know like one of the things that that I often tell people is that you know performance reviews nowadays are often used to to kind of like lay off people or we feel like they do not bring value to us. Um, that's such a dehumanizing act as well. To use performance reviews to mark someone as not valuable. Well, yes, it's against the law to, to share that information with another company because you're defaming someone's character. And, you know, and then you also use the performance review to give someone a raise. Like, I feel like that's very equivalent to giving a dog a treat, right? And that's how I view performance reviews as. If your dog misbehaves, you hit it on the nose or you ask it to go inside a cage, right? Or do not give treats. But if your dog performs well or listens to you, give it a treat, right? And even dogs are treated much better. And why are humans dehumanized based on, on a performance review? And if companies are focused on inclusiveness and inclusiveness is all about thinking big, I feel like you do not need a performance review. Get rid of the performance review and do feedback. Feedback every three months because we we change as a person when we are in a company, like you said, right? Every factor contributes. How many minutes of breaks do we get? Are we standing on our feet? What are some of the humane factors affecting us to be or become the person that we are in the space of work? Right? Why not give 
feedback every two months or three months and then from that you measure from it and also giving the people the liberty to actually make the decision are they burnt out if they're burnt out with that what would they like to do if i give you cake ari to eat every single day for three months you would get so burnt out you'd fall sick right and that is how i look at it you are at work doing the same bloody work every single day for eight nine hours some people do it for 18 hours every single day what would happen eight cake every single day 18 hours at a space you know no other food is given to you and at the exact same type of cake and it's not carrot cake it's not blueberry cake it's not poppy seed cake it's just chocolate cake with chocolate fudge every single day your health is going to take a toll right your sugar is going to be way out of whack your teeth is going to start rotting right and then that affects different parts of your body your heart your pancreas your liver your kidneys your eyesight because of the high content of sugar your brain cells do not function well because sugar does not feed your brain cells and I feel that that's exactly how the jobs have become nowadays, right? Some companies are shifting that, but if you if you're making your humans do the same job every single day, they're gonna hit burnout, and they're gonna hit burnout where they can't function well, and that you can't hold that against them and say it's performance review, eliminate the performance review because every human does not look forward to a performance review because a performance review is equivalent to a test. A test that you took when you were seven years old that gave you a grade whether you're B student, B student, C student, or whether you belonged or did not belong. A performance review communicates whether you belong or do not belong. And that's not the landscape that we should be creating in a platform of, of inclusion. Definitely. And, and I agree with what you said that, you know, one of the things, um, you know, with folks I've supervised and with students that I supervise, I always say that performance, like annual reviews and feedback um, should never be a surprise because that's on me to how am I having continuous conversations and providing you that feedback of, yep, you're doing this really, really well. Um, and I think this is where you're excelling. And these are some growth areas. And I think being able to do that in a way that um, is seen as um, supportive and developmental and not as a punishment or, you know, we only have these conversations once a year and then that, you know, so much is tied to that one moment um, once a year that it becomes, you know, you're right, like just a, an area of um, creating additional stress, creating additional worry. Um, for those of us who live with anxiety, um, that's, you know, certainly not helpful. Um, you know, and I, I, I think about, and as you were talking, I was thinking about, um, you know, a place I, I worked previously and I was often, um, I wouldn't say I would not use the term punished, um, but it was brought up to me more than once that, um, you know, you need, to, you need to speak more. You need to um, be a stronger leader. You need to um, do, you know, kind of be more visible and be more vocal. Um, 
And in that place, what, you know, was not seen is that, um, you know, I could not do so in a way that would be supported. Um, you know, there was very much kind of that um, feeling of, you know, I, I knew from experience that if I did not say things or if I spoke up and did not agree, um, it would not be supported. And um, it was, you know, a pretty small group that I worked with. And, you know, it was very much kind of um, very um, cliquish, for lack of a better word. And so, and I knew that I was not a part of that. Um, and so it made it very difficult for me to then find my own voice and to speak up. And instead of asking, you know, the why behind that and really getting to know and wanting to know what can be done better at that, uh, workspace to make me want and make me feel more comfortable in sharing my voice and my thoughts, um, instead, it was, you know, kind of my fault for not having um, the ability to do that when really it came down to um, my emotional safety. Um, and so I think that you know, there's sadly so much weighted on the per annual performance review um, that could be shifted and could have a deeper meaning to an employee by having those consistent conversations and knowing that anything that is on your review should never be a surprise because that's on your supervisor. It's on me to provide you consistent feedback. And if I'm only having those conversations with you once a year, um, then it's me not doing my job. Right. And, and I, Absolutely what you just said, Auric, and I want to echo on some of the points that you said. It, like, your performance review should never be a surprise, right? And sometimes, sometimes it's the conversations that we have should be as authentic. Uh, well, I don't want to use authentic, but should be as real, as human as possible. And that trust element should come into place, not should, must, come into place right if you are a manager or if you are in a position of leadership you must seriously take it from a place of hardship like i said it's like disrupting leadership you have to take it from a place of hardship now i'm not saying hardship is you know you go give someone hugs and, and sweet talk and say, oh let's go for dinner you know oh, right. no. it's honest feedback as in Honest feedback is, I'm not saying uh, criticism, and don't criticize from a place of privilege. Don't criticize from a place of, of I know better. Mm -hmm. Feedback, provide that honest conversation, real conversation from a place of hardship, where you're truly understanding what challenges that person is going through. Like you said, that person can be going through anything. Like anxiety is real. Mm -hmm. Right? And anxiety is not visible. People experience it differently. Some people shut down, right? Shut down as to what will say, oh no, everything is fine, everything is fine. Because that the fear element comes into place where they are afraid of losing the job. 
they are afraid of getting demoted. And all of that plays an important aspect as to how we are building a culture of inclusion at the workplace or any place of practice that we are building a community. And that's so important for us. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, so there's so much shame that exists um, in, in being authentic and showing up authentically. And, um, you know, and so we have places, um, uh, uh, you know, places of work and also schools that say, you know, we want you to bring your whole self and we, you know, want you to show up authentically. But then there's always that, like, caveat to that. So, and then it's like, we want you to do that and then pause, 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 but not in these ways. Um, and that's typically never verbally communicated, um, but it's all the nonverbal ways. So then after, you know, time on the job or in that school, you realize, um, oh, so this is what you really meant by that. And I also think that it's, um, it's not, it's not always appropriate or necessary for um, folks to say, we want you to show up completely as you are. Um, in that, I, I think that because there are so many buts and there's so many caveats that, you know, it's all, we've almost made it as a society impossible for folks to show up um, without feeling like I can't bring that piece of me to work. I can't talk about my mental health and my mental illness because, you know, they're just going to refer me to HR or they're not going to fully understand what that means. Um, you know, they, there's so many things that, that are truly ingrained in our society that, that truly make it a barrier um, for people to be authentic, which, which again is, is so the opposite of inclusion and the opposite of trying to build people up in their humanity and to, you know, baseline human respect. Um, it's, it's so, it's become very much about the, you know, these things about you are okay. You can talk about your partner. You can talk about your family. You can talk about all these things. But, you know, for me, it's like, well, I don't really want to hear about how your OCD has kept you up all night long because you had to keep taking showers, um, you know, or that you were up all night doing laundry because you're, you know, nothing ever felt clean enough. Um, you know, and so all of these, those pieces that you're right, that we bring with us to our work that are truly authentic, um, but are not quote unquote accepted as being okay. No, I agree with you. And that's so true. And, and, and what you just said, you know, if you've got anxiety, they'll refer you to HR. That is so true. <laughs> it has happened to me before. And then I was like thinking, the whole paradigm of how HR is, and I know some companies are making an effort to, to shift what HR really is. I, but in most cases, HR is looked at as human resources, as in paperwork, 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 right? 
and and all these rules and policies as to oh i'll go apply time off or fmla 30 day off but there's always the buts like you said there's always the buts where you take time off and that is used to lay off that person because some companies have policies or if you take 30 days off or 60 days off under your health issue it's such they have loopholes to make it in such a way that they can displace your job under the, the the reasoning of we do not need that position anymore so they eliminate the job the person is laid off and human resource should not be of that when we really think about human resources how are we really providing resources help to our humans right the first thing that comes to my mind when you say resources as to uh, resources would be resources i look at minerals right minerals water nutrients those are all resources for something or someone to thrive you plant a seed what are the resources that are essential for the seed to grow soil nutrients in the soil water sunlight the whole ecosystem like snails worms whatever lives in the soil that are the resources for the seed to really thrive grow blossom and plant its seeds around that is exactly what human resources should be the nutrients that we're feeding into our humans for them to really exist and perform and execute really well when i say perform not just money bringing money it's not about the kpis right it's not about the money it's not about making your company fortune 500 if you really take care of your humans from a very hot level really embracing the real the authenticity not the buts and whatnot then you are truly winning in your business in any communities of practice that you that you hold it as an organization that is what the whole actors should be of inclusion like welcoming space unless the person is like goodbye i don't want to be part of this company <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes and i think you know there you know so many more people are experiencing um, long-term health issues and chronic health issues and um, you know mental health and all of these things that are you know so beyond our, our control but are are looked at as you know well, well you went over your sick days so we're gonna start docking your pay I'm sorry that I can't you know I don't know what's happening in my body and I can't predict it or you know um, working at places with, um, you know, kind of no or very little parental leave for, um, you know, parents, um, you know, or looking at places that only provide a short-term parental leave um, for the mother um, and not, you know, for the father um, when, you know, as you were talking about earlier, like family family dynamics and family setup are so different, but yet these systems are still so archaic. Um, and, you know, I, I also, 
I want to say and recognize that um, we need to leave space for accountability. Um, you know, and I think that that that's where the balance becomes, you know, I think a sticking point because I think people feel like, oh, well, if we don't do this right by the, the letter, right by the book, then the employee is going to want to do whatever they want, come in whenever they want, um, you know, and then there's no accountability. No, you can create accountability, just not so rigidly that we're not taking in account that human aspect and recognizing that for every single person being at work at 8 a.m. exactly on the dot, that doesn't work. Um, or expecting people, you know, to say, you need to be here every night until five o'clock and then you can punch out. Um, like that, that doesn't work. And that's not sustainable for a lot of people for many different reasons. And so being able to say, this is what, this is what, you know, kind of standard is. How can I work with you? What makes sense? How can I get the best out of you um, so you feel committed to us as an employer and we're supporting you as a human um, and being and really being able to find that that balance between accountability and providing space for you know your authenticity and to to really honor what you bring because only by doing that is the organization, is the company, is the university going to get the absolute best of you as an employee? Um, and that's how you keep people on. Um, and I think so much of that is is completely lost. And, and I think that's why so many people are are leaving jobs and shifting jobs and and not finding spaces where, you know, they want to stay 10, 20, 30 years um, because we myself as a larger part of that is somebody, you know, who does hire. Um, we are not making systems sustainable for people and we lose that complete human aspect. I agree with you, Auric. Um, what you mentioned about the leaf, right? When someone meets off days and then they run out of off days and then they stop talking <laughs> the pain. How do you expect your humans to, to sustain uh, living standards if you're talking with your pay? You are actually, when, you, when people do that or when companies do that, I feel like they are indirectly responsible for homelessness, responsible for not being able to provide for their family food. Because we really never know if someone is actually supporting their not only their family, but their sick parent who lives overseas or, or their siblings on top of their kids and their spouse. Like when my dad passed away in 2016, I only had three days of bereavement leave. And I was told I could use my sick day leave or my holiday leave. And then I was thinking, what if I needed to go take a holiday? So I don't have any holiday days to take a break. So I'm using all my days uh, for to, for myself when my dad passed away. So three bereavement days, and international flights do not you can't take you can't be off for three days, right? And when you lose someone and or any kind of trauma that you undergo, it's not three days that you overcome, right? Some people 
take years to overcome that trauma, losing someone or any kind of trauma that people are going through. It's the human experience, right? It affects every part of your body, every part of your mind. And when you are at your lowest low, you can't seem to function really well. I feel like that's not taken into consideration. And I feel like people use that, especially companies or organizations use that. Oh, she's not functioning because she needs to separate whatever is going through in her life and separate that into business. But people do not realize business is personal because of your humans, because you have a real heart, a real mind, a real body present in your space of business. And <laughs> shifting that mindset is really important. And if you can't shift that mindset, then you're not really creating a space of inclusiveness. Yeah, that's just not right. How can we start planting seeds of inclusion for someone who's listening out here and wondering how can we start from the basis of planting or inclusion in our communities of practice? What kind of advice would you give? It's a really good question. And, um, you know, I, I think about this a lot because I think that people often have the assumption that it takes money, a lot of money. It takes um, a lot of time. It has to be something grandiose um, to, to really make a difference and to bring back some of that humanity. And, um, and it doesn't. Um, you know, I, I'll share a few examples and, and I'm, I'm certainly not sharing them um, for my own ego or for like to brag and say, you know, look at the great things I'm doing because honestly, I don't feel like they're that big and that they're that great, but I do know they make a difference. And so um, it's, it's such something so small and um, I recognize my privilege. I, you know, have mentioned some of my social identities. I'm, you know, born in South America. I'm a naturalized citizen. I am a transracial adoptee. So I, my family um, does not share my racial heritage um, and my background, um, you know, but, you know, identify as, as queer, identify as a trans man. Um, so those identities don't carry a lot of privilege in the U.S. society. But I have the privilege of education. I have the privilege of working at a Big Ten institution um, that's, that does pay me well, um, at least enough to live um, and knowing I don't have to support anyone else with my salary. Um, and how, for me, it's about how do I share that privilege? How do I, you know, share what I've been given and what I've gathered over the years? And so... Um, this past winter, you live in Wisconsin, and it, this past winter was very cold, as many are, um, but this was, you know, kind of the, the unusual, bitter, chilling, kind of negative 20 degrees, um, and so I was cleaning out some, some you know, one of my um, closets and recognized that I have a lot of blankets, I have a lot of sweatshirts, I have things I don't use. You know, there's only so many sweatshirts one can wear at one time anyway. That's true. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I had a lot of jackets as well. And so I um, 
I called up, you know, kind of a couple of friends and I said, I'm going to go um, towards um, the state capitol and towards, you know, where a lot of folks experiencing homelessness um, are living on the streets. And I'm just going to start passing stuff out um, and, you know, kind of an invite to join me and to bring what they had as well. And, um, and doing that for me felt very natural. It was, it was easy. It's like, was a couple hours of my time. Um, I did not have to spend money to do that. Um, you know, and, and a lot of folks I interacted with that day, you know, asked me like, Oh, well, what church are you from? What organization are you from? And I was able to look and say, I'm not, I'm just somebody who sees the humanity in you. Um, and that's all it takes. You know, folks want to be seen. Um, folks are often characterized by their life experience, like somebody experiencing homelessness. Um, we make a lot of assumptions and we make a lot of judgments and we're, you know, taught to be scared and not to talk to folks. Um, but just like you and I, Mila, they have stories. Um, they have histories. They are pushed in so many ways on the outsides of our society. And it took me, like I said, just a couple of hours to connect with many people experiencing homelessness that day. And, and they probably won't remember me, um, but I hope that re they remember that feeling of, of just being noticed. And so um, that, that moment will also stay with me um, for a very long time, probably the rest of my life, um, because it's small. Um, it's, you know, seeing a, a mom and a child at a restaurant and, um, you know, recognizing that, you know, when the kid's screaming, the, the mom or the parents with them, like, they don't like that either. Like, <laughs> and so how can you, you know, recognize that, you know, those folks are, are also struggling and, and being more gentle and, and holding a door or picking something up. It, you know, they don't have to be these huge things to make a difference. I love that. I love everything that you just said, Arik. And that's the whole bottom line of it, right? It's empathy, it's love, it's kindness. Uh, but at first, a whole of inclusion is, is just not a uh, a quarter that we're trying to fill it is truly understanding a human and humanizing them to the basics of what a human wants a human wants to belong and you know it's like you mentioned about homelessness and I feel like even a millionaire can become homeless even a director of a company can become homeless, right? And we can't pass judgment onto anyone. Be a leader and to practice hardship is to embrace and to really look at a human from the core, from the root of whom they are, where they want to belong, how they want to belong, and what does the heart want. And inclusion isn't a singular concept. Inclusion is about empowerment. It's about civility. It's 
about embracing, it's about respect. It's about giving someone a voice. It's about listening. It's about the diversity. It's about a sense of wanting to be heard and wanting to be seen. It's been such an honor speaking with you, Auric. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Um, I, I, this has been fantastic and it's always fantastic to connect with you. Um, you know, and I do want to let folks listening and engaging know that um, I'd be happy to, to connect. And, um, you know, Mila, please feel free to share uh, kind of my contact info. I am on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, um, and would love an opportunity to engage with more folks who, who feel similarly about hardship and about inclusion um, as Mila and I do. So thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, I'll, set, I'll put all the links below in this video. And thank you again for being a partner in hardship. <laughs>